Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, depending on where you're joining us from today. Uh, really appreciate you uh, joining us for today's session, The Shifting Demographics and Perspectives of Donors. I'm Steve McLaughlin, a Vice President of Product Management with BlackBaud and also a Senior Advisor to the BlackBaud Institute. Um, without a doubt, the landscape in charitable giving is shifting from donors who are responding to the way that they want to be engaged and so we wanted to spend some time in today's fireside chat digging into this topic with a true expert in this area. So first, I want to welcome our guest for today's session, Dr. Uno Asili. Dr. Asili is the Associate Dean for Research and, and, and International Programs, and she's also a Dean's Fellow for the Mays Family Institute on Diverse Philanthropy at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of philanthropy. But more importantly, Una is a true global expert on philanthropy and social innovation. And her decades of research and experience in this area um, are going to shed a lot of light on this topic. So, Una, welcome to our chat here today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored and delighted and welcome to all of you who've joined us. I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. Great. Now, I know this area in particular, how demographics among donors have been shifting and changing, has been a focus area of your research for a while now. So maybe just for the audience today, um, share a little bit about some of the research that you've been doing in this area at the Lilly School. Yes, thank you um, for bringing that up. This topic of the changing landscape, changing demographics has been a personal interest of mine as well as a professional focus. I was very fortunate when I joined the faculty here at Indiana University more than two decades ago, so I'm going to date myself here. Uh, I had the opportunity to be part of a pioneering landmark study that looked at American families of all different backgrounds and how they were giving. It's called the Philanthropy Panel Study. For those of you who want to learn more, you can visit generosityforlife.com. And what we saw very early from the beginning was that our nation's demographic portrait was changing. We had new immigrants that were integrating, adapting to our larger societal institutions. Many of them came with strong traditions of giving. We have a diverse population. In fact, I, I tend to emphasize that philanthropy is a core value for all Americans. And when we look at the data, we see that reflected Native Americans, African Americans, Asian Americans, Latinx, uh, and all sorts of other ethnicities, because we know today that multicultural households, households that have immigrant um, traditions, there are so many different ways uh, that families are configured today. And what's exciting is that for the first time, perhaps we can see these changing dynamics in the data. So generosity itself is not new. 
Um, generosity has been a core value. These are not new donors. They've been giving all along, as my colleague, uh, Dr. Tyrone Freeman here at the Lilly Family School says. But what is new about this moment in history is that we have the data to actually look at these patterns. And so race and ethnicity are powerful uh, concepts in the data because we can see that despite the diversity we have in the data, there are some commonalities. Americans of all backgrounds are involved in philanthropy. So the race and ethnicity, while they help us understand the motivations, how donors give, the causes they support, the notion of giving is something that does cut across race and ethnicity. And I'll just say one more thing on the diversity, although uh, a lot of the research has been focused on understanding uh, race, ethnicity, immigrant status. We've also looked at other dynamics. Gender is an important one. We're seeing female donors really become more visible in their philanthropy and take leadership roles. And um, in addition to that, there are many other dimensions, religious affiliation, looking at that, we can see lots of um, interesting patterns by religious affiliation. Another big um, opportunity that is still kind of in the early stages is looking at LGBTQ status and uh, many of the other aspects of what makes us Americans, but also what makes us unique in terms of our uh, families, our traditions. And as I said, the, the new layer, the lens that we can bring as researchers is actually to bring the data to that conversation. Great. Thanks, Una, for that uh, sort of overview. Before we dig into some of the specific findings and, and things that uh, you identified as, as a part of the research, I know one of the things that um, you often do when you're looking at these research projects is you have some big questions you'd like to try and answer or maybe even a hypothesis that you might have. So going in some of this most recent research, what were some of those those questions you were hoping to find some answers to, or maybe a, a hypothesis you had that you were hoping the uh, the research would help uh, uncover a bit more? Absolutely. So here it's quite simple. The questions are very straightforward. They're very relevant to fundraisers, to nonprofit leaders, and to communities overall. The first question is probably the fundamental question. Who is giving right now? Um, how are they giving? So both the who and the how, and also how is philanthropy changing? So let me just try to summarize what we've learned so far. In terms of the who is giving, we're finding that giving does um, cut across all of those different demographics. We see givers across our nation in every uh, single community that we study, but we also see that how people are giving is changing. The causes they're supporting have changed significantly in the last two decades. The motivations for giving are also changing. The issues that are on everyone's mind in terms of uh, the issues that are driving a lot of the charitable behavior and actions that we see have also changed in the last two decades. And the methods that we're using have also shifted. So who gives? How do they give? And I think in the pandemic, we've added a new layer of questions. Ultimately, how is this changing our lives? Uh, how is it changing our communities? The so what question has really intrigued um, not just researchers, but practitioners as well, because donors want to know what the impact of their gifts are, how their giving is making a difference. 
And so as we have studied these questions, it's also been interesting to learn, so what? How is this affecting donors themselves, their participation, their involvement, and their willingness to continue to support these causes? Great. So you, you teed that up perfectly. So maybe let's start with what, what did you learn about the who, and then we can talk about the how and, and some other things. What, what did you learn from some of the research specifically about the, the who is giving when we talk to some of these different groups? Yes, the who is giving is a fundamental question because for a long time we've had an image of who a philanthropist is, and often that person is not necessarily from a diverse background, they may not be female, and they may not necessarily come from an immigrant tradition. And what we're seeing in the data is that donors actually exist in all those communities. We find uh, donors who are female, who are immigrants, who are uh, persons or families of color. And so the question of who is a giver is actually one that I think is a, a very exciting moment for all of us because we can see ourselves in the donor communities that we look at. Um, however, when we look at the data more closely, there are some big uh, changes in who is giving. And let me just catch that out very quickly. At the beginning of the 21st century, two-thirds of Americans gave, and it was very stable. What I mean is, when we looked at the data from year to year, that who is giving did not change as much. That high-level participation rate stayed relatively constant. Around the time of the Great Recession, we started to see that number decline. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, it did not tick back up during the economic recovery. And so over time, we have seen fewer Americans giving. This is a concern, certainly as a researcher, but also someone who cares deeply about um, our society and participation rates have fallen. When we look at who has stopped giving, tends to be younger donors. People with less income, less education are less likely to give. So if I had one message for from the research and from today's conversation, there's a bit of a call to action for nonprofits and fundraisers. How do we engage the next generation of donors? So a different shifting demographic here is age. Our nation is getting older. We have four generations in the charitable landscape and a big part of our job ahead, our task ahead, and the work ahead for all of us is engaging that next generation of donors. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and just for audience members, so we often use terms like older and younger loosely, but to clarify, so based on some research that the Blackboard Index has done for a couple of years now, last year in 2021, the average age of a donor in the U.S. was about 65, 65 years old. So when we say younger, a younger donor may be 50, 40, 30. Um, and that may differ from what we think about maybe in um, some more uh, commercial sectors where younger, you know, younger uh, people are 18 to 25. There is a definite age shift there when we're talking about donors, especially when we talk about gifts of significant amounts. But you know, what would be a good good way to characterize for organization how they should think about these these different age groups? It's an excellent question, and I think for every organization, there's going to be some um, need to redefine this or refine this even further. But in our research, we've tended to look at under 40 as a big group that includes uh, millennials, 
It also includes increasingly Gen Z households. And what we have found is that many nonprofits are very focused on their current donors, rightfully so. They are looking at many of those, as you've noted, are in their 60s or even older. The challenge with this model, and I just want to highlight this, is that younger households are also reaching their point of financial stability. Many of them are in a position to start thinking about their philanthropy and they are willing to make gifts. In fact, we are seeing that many of these um, millennial and Gen Z households are starting to think about their philanthropy perhaps at an earlier point in their lifetime, not just in terms of their annual gifts, but even legacy gifts and other mm-hmm. types of ways of supporting nonprofits. So under 40 is a loose category, but the general work that we've done, including the qualitative research we conducted during the pandemic, suggests that a lot of these younger donors do not feel engaged, um, and not just in terms of the outreach, um, the engagement opportunity, but even the language and the solicitations are not mm-hmm. tailored for this younger generation. And uh, in our uh, other research that we've conducted at, at the school, including the Bank of America studies of high net worth giving, we've included an oversample of young affluent donors. And that's also where we see a lot of evidence that um, these younger generations want to do things differently from their parents or even their grandparents. But many nonprofits have not necessarily adapted to this much more complex uh, demographic picture. So these four generations of donors have specific motivations, their expectations differ, and how they want to be engaged is also different. So one size does not fit all as we look at the shifting demographics and perspectives of donors. Let's talk about the how. So, because I think this is where you start to see more differences emerge in the data, which is um, wh- how are donors giving differently and the organizations they're choosing to prioritize in their giving. That's another how that's, that's changing as well. Can you dig into that one for us? Yes, I am. Um... Actually, uh, when I think about where there's so much opportunity for organizations to engage with this topic, it's really on the how. And let me just give some very big examples. When we look at younger donors in particular, they are increasingly interested in, you might think of them as sort of new areas of giving. Climate is a big one. Uh, Issue-based giving is also um, an area where we've seen a shift, where in the past, many donors chose organizations to support, and they gave to those organizations year after year. That might be your college um, where you attended or uh, a social service organization that you support. Today, these donors are starting with the issues that matter to them. That could be gender equity. That could be climate. That could be race, race um, racial injustice. And then they pick organizations that are working on those topics. So the how has changed. And the other side of that coin, in addition to the issues driving the um, giving, it's also that donors increasingly want to see results. Um, one of my colleagues here at the school has been in, in this field for more longer than I have. And he said when he started out in the 70s and 80s, most donors just wanted to write a check. 
today. They want to engage with the organizations that they support. They want to hear from those organizations and they want, to, they want reports on the impact. And this is especially true for the youngest donors. Millennials, Gen Z households have grown up in a very different era, the information age, the, um, you could say, the technology-fueled giving, where you can learn very quickly about how your gift is making a difference. You can go online, you can receive a report and a personalized report on your giving. So I think the how, um, there's some big issues around that. Alongside the points I've mentioned, I'd also say that in the last decade, especially, we've seen an expansion in tools that are available to donors and methods through which they can give. So in the past, you could say you have a few ways to give. You can give cash. You can give check, uh, write a check. You can give in kind. Today, we have uh, an array of tools and mechanisms. And just to mention a few that have resonated with younger donors, we've seen the peer-to-peer -peer, um, frameworks become very popular. Uh, cryptocurrency uh, also growing. It's still very volatile, so I'm not necessarily advocating that every organization stand up their own crypto platform, but also in financial technology, whether it's Cash App, uh, Venmo, um, Zelle, or even some more traditional PayPal and so forth, younger donors are coming to the table with expectations that the organizations they support have an array of mechanisms also available. So we hear this a lot from organizations that younger donors ask, do you have a Venmo option on your website or can I uh, give via crypto? And for many organizations, these may not necessarily be uh, feasible, but what I think I often encourage organizations to do is to find uh, partners that can support them in this work, find intermediaries they can work with so you don't have to stand up your own operation around all these things, but reducing barriers to giving and understanding that donors are using all of these new methodologies. And then finally, I think it's also important to mention the innovation that's taking place in the giving space with new uh, tools and vehicles, including donor advice funds that are somewhat controversial but are also allowing donors of all different backgrounds because there are no minimum DAFs, opportunities to give using different types of asset classes and different forms. So for the nonprofits that are on the call today, I'd say if I had to summarize on the how, it's to keep in mind that this is a fast-changing landscape and donors are selecting issues that matter to them. There, Some of them are actually engaging with these new causes and they're using a plethora of tools to give. And so it's more complex, it's more dynamic, but there's certainly um, a lot of, you could say, um, latent generosity where donors are very uh, willing to give, but they may be interested in giving using some of these new methodologies. Another thing that I found interesting um, is this idea that starts to surface in the data that that where people give to and the type of organizations isn't set in stone either, that there's actually a lot of influence in life stage to where people choose to give. As an example, uh, in people who are in their 30s and maybe just starting a family, you start to see an uptick and giving to children-related charities, children's hospitals, because it's it may be personally impacting their lives or 
because of where they are in, in that life stage, it's a, it's an issue. It's an area that they're more passionate about. Um, is there anything you could share um, with the audience today just around this idea of, you know, how, how donor preferences or areas of interest may or may not change over, over time with them? Yes, I think this is a very good question. Uh, what we've been quite attuned to in the data is that there are inflection points for many donors where their giving priorities change, their preferences change, and also their um, engagement opportunities change. And in the data, because we track the same families over time, the philanthropy panel study, we've been able to look at moments like um, retirement, for example, where donors have perhaps more time uh, in terms of engagement, but their resources may be more constrained. And mm -hmm. what we found is that uh, for many organizations, working with donors so that they can plan for their giving during retirement could be a conversation to have. Similarly, a life events such as a business, um, owning a business, selling a business, and also having children, um, your children going to college. Many of these events shape donors, their, their resources that they have available to them, the causes that they're exposed to, and how they prioritize those causes. There's also the bigger issue around awareness and social networks. Uh, individuals who are in the workplace uh, have many channels through which they learn about giving and learn about causes. But when individuals move into the retirement phases of their lives, their social networks change as well. What this means is that organizations need to map those life stages as they're having conversations and building relationships with donors and try to bring that information to the conversation. So whether it's children are in college, so maybe your finances are in a different place, or you're planning to retire, setting up vehicles that can allow you to support charities that you care about, or even individuals who are uh, starting their um, careers and also want to align with certain types of causes. What we're finding is that organizations can be very successful if they're able to bring the right information to those conversations rather than uh, sort of reacting to them. And I'll give you uh, some very good examples. So uh, many organizations now offer opportunities for you to make birthday gifts, gifts so instead of donate, sorry, buying a gift, you can donate to a charity of that uh, donor's choice. Same thing around retirement. You can set up opportunities for people to give. And what is quite um, interesting is that those birthdays on fund, uh, birth, uh, fundraisers for birthdays on Facebook, for example, uh, Facebook announced recently that uh, those dollars raised had reached almost $6 billion. So these are not insignificant. My point is that um, those life stages and life events are not just a given, but they're also partnership and collaboration opportunities where donors may lift up the charities that they care about and invite their friends, their family, and their networks to give to those causes at those various moments. So nonprofits, fundraisers need to be aware of them and not just uh, think of them as a given, but really think about how they can build them into their planning and their strategy. Yeah, and I think one thing uh, we might want to explore here is, as we wrap up, we've talked about the who and the how and, and some of the what, 
But what would be some recommendations you would make to fundraisers who are, you know, taking in this information, getting a bit wiser about how they might have to modify their approach or modify or alter maybe what they've done for many years or um, maybe in, in recent years to, to adjust? Um, what type of advice and recommendations would you give to them as they, they try to adjust to to some of these um, shifting demographics and perspectives. Yes, I think that uh, all this information is both very exciting and also very daunting. For many fundraisers, I think they recognize that uh, when they look at their donor profiles, uh, who's in their community, they realize that a lot has changed and continues to change. And one thing we've learned is that uh, we, business as usual, went out the door in 2019. So this is a chance to innovate and to think differently about your work. Um, I'd start by saying to understand the communities that you work in and serve, and also ask yourselves how you can bring the most, um, I'd say, uh, forward-looking perspective. You have to obviously address today's needs, but you also have to look ahead and prepare for tomorrow. Uh, one benefit of the uh, Lilly Family School, the perch that we have here, is that we have the opportunity to see what the data is telling us, but also how organizations are responding and preparing for this. I am very excited about some of the initiatives taking place here at Indiana University that I'll just lift up. I mentioned the Women's Philanthropy Council, but we also have a Black Philanthropy Council that was just developed before the pandemic to address uh, the community, uh, the Black African-American alumni population that for a long time had not been had not been really engaged. Many of those donors were not necessarily involved in the university, and so this was an opportunity. So think about how some of these models may be of interest. So whether that's uh, developing giving circles within your organization to mobilize groups that historically have been left out or marginalized, um, also understanding that there is a growing community of donors, young donors, that you want to engage. So building the pipeline of the future has to be a priority. And I know that for many organizations, this is a big uh, imperative. How do we reach younger donors? But realizing that reaching those younger donors requires that you use some of the new tools that we've discussed and offer an array of engagement opportunities. So what works for one group may not work for others. And you may ask, well, how do I, how do I learn um, what these donors want and how I engage them? And I'd encourage you to ask the donors. Very simple. If you want to know something, you have to ask. So survey your donors, have focus groups, use um, the opportunities you have to learn what really is meaningful to them, and then provide those tailored opportunities. If you're looking for examples of what's working right now in engaging younger donors, we have several reports at the Lilly Family School on this very topic, uh, younger donors and uh, the general topic of engaging the future generation of donors, and also understand that uh, you are going to have a lot of success as you go down this road, but you also have uh, some learning. In other words, not everything is going to work, but be willing to adapt, uh, innovate, and learn in this process. Uh, I do think it's a very exciting uh, set of options that we have on the table. Although the pandemic has led to a lot of challenges, 
It's also led to a lot of opportunities because there's a growing awareness of need in our communities. And there's also a growing awareness of the need for philanthropy. I think philanthropy has gained much more visibility during the pandemic, and we're seeing how it can make a difference. Is clear, especially from the, not just the pandemic, but the 2008 recession, is that what we found is that best practices for organizations are still the same, even in this uncertain economy, engaging donors, even if they're not in a position to give now, they may be able to give in the future. So uh, best practices still involve building relationships and trust in nonprofits. Uh, the biggest lesson from the pandemic is that uh, when we look at the data, trust in nonprofits is the highest of any other societal institution. So Americans trust the nonprofits that they give to more so than their governments or the businesses that they support. And the nonprofit sector is in a unique position of accountability. So if I had to offer um, one sort of parting uh, wisdom is building trust with donors, not just encourages them to give now, but sets up um, a, a giving economy that is robust and also sustainable for the future. So trust means accountability. It means transparency. It also means being able to show donors how you're using their dollars and how you're making a difference. Yeah, that, that trust factor is, is great. And in fact, as you noted, it's higher than it's ever been. And that's a, that's a real um, powerful opportunity for charities when the public views them as trusted entities to engage more and to talk about the importance of their mission and the impact and how individuals can help drive that from a, from a giving perspective. 